0: Welcome to the second episode of the Smash View podcast. My name is Sean Hurst. I'm the technical director at Smarsh. In this podcast series, we talk to leading experts across the business and compliance technology industries to hear their thoughts on what's happening in the world today. In today's podcast, we are joined by Greg Vesper, Smash's chief product officer. Hi, Greg. Hello, Sean. Thank you. So, Greg, how has Smarsh innovated to respond to the challenges that our clients have faced during these difficult times?
1: There was already an uptrend, Sean, in the rollout of communication modes and communication content in the compliance industry pre-COVID. We already saw a ramp in, uh, in mobile, mobile apps, uh, texting, instant messaging, different collaboration modes and mediums. So that was already kind of an uptick uh, in a pre-COVID world. And then when COVID hit, we had this step function increase with suddenly remote workforces in the compliance sector and the explosion of im and collab tools as not just a nice to have but as something that is essential so what was already an uptrend became just a very steep curve for uh, adoption of this technology and so that's a trend that we think is is not going to reverse we think that accelerated a trend that was already in place and now uh, the compliance sector as a whole is looking at how do we get our arms around this explosion of communication modalities, this explosion of communication uh, content types, and how do we how do we make that uh, that collaborative dynamic, that work from home collaborative dynamic, uh, not just suddenly remote, but suddenly compliant. And I think that's the challenge that we're facing right now.
0: I've seen uh, I've seen that change coming over the last couple of years where where companies that we deal with typically are quite conservative, the banks that want to embrace these new technologies. They realize the productivity benefits that they provide, but they were always hesitant because of the compliance side of it, uh, adhering to those old-school compliance requirements that they've always had. And that's where Smash has always been able to help. But they've suddenly been forced into a situation where they just have to use these tools because they cannot be productive at all. Working from home without using these these innovative collaborative tools. So it's been a it's been a fascinating uh, few months. I mean it's, it's it's not been it's not been great in other areas, of course. With COVID, it's it's been uh, it's been tough times. But from the from the technology perspective, uh, it's been quite a fascinating journey.
1: Yeah, it really has. And it what's interesting is that uh, it's not just the um, the actual. Enterprises that are struggling with compliance for suddenly remote workforce—it's the operators of the IM and cloud platforms, right? The large collaboration platforms that are out there uh, went through unprecedented growth and a demand on capabilities, and so what you find is a whole industry that's going through a surge right now and struggling to keep up with demand. Uh, now, the the good thing about that is out of that, uh, out of that immediate market demand. Um, comes opportunity because it it forces innovation to happen in a just in time fashion, and that's frequently what uh, what a developing market needs to to be able to accelerate the maturity of that market. And so I think that's what we're seeing happening. So out of the out of the duress uh, of the suddenly remote workforce, uh, what we're seeing I think is an uptick in capabilities both on the collaboration side and from the compliance solution providers. Uh, who want to uh, then uh, take that that surge in demand and convert that into uh, an opportunity to get a compliance solution uh, quickly to the next level? And certainly at Smarts, so that's what we're experiencing.
0: Well, I mean, there's there's two things I wanted to pick up on what you just said. There, number one is it, it certainly has been a challenge for for these uh, teams, not just compliance teams, but like you said, the communications teams. They've had to suddenly scale up massively, and I think people have responded quite well with that scaling up, but I think we're now at that next phase where you're scaling up, but you also need to scale up your compliance to match up with those uh, new new collaboration tools. and that, that's an area where where Smash obviously we've been doing this for a very long time and we've been doing a great job at it. But what in- innovations have we been seeing uh, internally at Smash when it comes to helping our customers?
1: So, uh, you use the word scale, and I think that's exactly the right word. So, scale is really difficult, right? Scale will separate uh, solution providers uh, into different classes of ability. It's one thing to have functional capability, it's another thing to do that um, at scale, at global scale. And then when the scale goes through a a step function increase, where you might go through a hundred or two or three hundred percent increase in demand in a very short period of time. So, uh, we have taken um, at Smarsh, we've we've seen this coming, and uh, we believe fortune favors the prepared. So, we have positioned ourselves and our technology for scale and super scale, and specifically, we took a, a multi cloud approach toward uh, the solution space, and that multi cloud. Uh, Technical approach helps in two dimensions. Uh, One is the deployability of your solution. If you all of a sudden have uh, uh, global regions, global deployability, and uh, different enterprises moving at different paces in different regions, there's going to be a lot of variety in terms of the deployment patterns that you're going to see. So you have to be able to accommodate those deployment topologies as they arise organically from the marketplace. You can't dictate them, you can't engineer them, you have to be in a position to respond positively to the marketplace when the market says now. And that's what's happened in the past six months. The market has said now, Uh, we were prepared for a market that that was going to take off and say now, particularly um, uh, in a a cloud and multi-cloud world. So uh, step one was for us, uh, be multi-cloud deployable from day one. The, the second benefit that you get from this multi-cloud approach is when you go to deploy, uh, you have the ability to deploy in a fashion that is not going to be constrained by the infrastructure. This is something in the uh, compliance space that has um, actually been kind of one of the uh, one of the long-running challenges of uh, compliance solutions uh, is that they they came from a Kind of an on-prem infrastructure dependent legacy. And over time, uh, what happened is these on-prem infrastructures became uh, more and more sophisticated as the workload and the burden and the the explosion of content in the global data sphere started to really hit the compliance sector. These on-prem footprints got larger and more complicated. And the scaling, the scalability of the compliance solution became directly correlated to the scalability of the infrastructure. If you couldn't scale the infrastructure, you couldn't scale your compliance solution and you had compliance risk. So you ended up with this um, infrastructure back pressure. And, and that back pressure is never really alleviated. And if, if anything, the explosion of content and the acceleration of that explosion uh, in the past six months with COVID has taken that acute situation, or I would say that long running situation and uh, that kind of chronic um, infrastructure back pressure and and, and made it uh, into an acute uh, business issue for these compliance solutions that are deployed on-prem. So the cloud deployability doesn't just mean I can deploy wherever I want, um, it, what it means is if you've if, if truly your solution has adopted cloud native patterns it means that the infrastructure underneath your solution has the ability to scale um, really with with no practical limits there's always upper limits to any infrastructure but the trillion dollar cloud infrastructures uh, really eliminate uh, the pragmatic limits that that we're used to facing in an on-prem world so that that scalability becomes really strategic really quickly, because if you don't have the ability to scale to demand, and if every time you want to scale, you have to redo do your infrastructure, you have a major cost problem, you have a major compliance problem, you have a major ability to execute problem. And the the smart approach to this, I think, is really future-proofed it for the, uh, for the compliance sector to be able to not only make the jump to cloud and multi-cloud, uh, but to take um, infrastructure provisioning and infrastructure scaling out of the equation, and completely de-risks that from uh, the compliance operation.
0: I think that's something we, we've done really well, and y- your team has done really well. Is is to actually, you know, put that infra- infrastructure in place in, in a way that this this crisis has has not really impacted us too heavily from the data front from the from the scalability front we, we have responded so well uh, and, and and it's not just us there, there's other tech giants that have done just as well Microsoft has has done incredibly uh, of course zoom we can't go anywhere without talking about zoom but the these other tech giants have also responded very well and the common theme there is it's native cloud and you know native cloud public cloud, I think it's you know it's no longer a choice that you're going to make it's 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 pretty much the only choice when you talk about these large volumes when you talk about this vast scalability requirements I think you know from my perspective I, I don't see another choice Yeah I it's
1: it's difficult and you know let me uh, let me clarify that you know Smarsh has experience in uh, in their own data center build outs in private cloud and a public cloud, right? We're familiar with operating all three. We have actually very deep and broad experience in those three deployment topologies, um, well, including on-prem, right? So let's, let's call it four deployment topologies, on-prem, data center, private cloud, public cloud. Uh, we have not experienced anything that creates the quality of service, the scalability, the serviceability, the operability, that public cloud infrastructure does, and and there's there's really you're not giving up anything. What uh, in the past the trade-off was, well, you're giving up control and you're giving up data residency. But if you really look at the uh, at private cloud infrastructure, or on-prem infrastructure, the security and data residency issues that on-prem and private cloud have are the exact same issues that you have in public cloud. The difference is. Those issues are addressed more convincingly by trillion-dollar infrastructure players who have anticipated those and baked them into their infrastructure. So you you really do end up with infrastructure as a service that is better than the infrastructure as a service you can build out yourself. And, And that's where we became convinced, right? We experimented with this over time, and we think we've seen the future, and we believe the future is Trillion-dollar infrastructure because you can't really compete at the scale uh, and sophistication and reach of that infrastructure. And now that infosec and data residency is getting baked, those requirements from a compliance uh, perspective or from a non-compliance perspective, just general um, enterprise operations uh, have been so baked so deeply into the operations and the infrastructure of that trillion-dollar infrastructure. You now have something that, from a capabilities and from a um, cost-benefit is is really unrivaled, so uh, we believe that's the future, uh, and I think we're starting to see that as people deploy more and more on uh, public cloud topologies.
0: Talking of the future, w- where do you think we're going? What, what do you think is next? We, we've you know we, we've gone through the last eight nine months where we've responded to a lot of the challenges that have arisen, but what do you think is coming? What what do, we, what do you think is next?
1: So there's um, there's a couple trends. That I think uh, have emerged already, and some of these are regional, but I think they all have global impact. So um, the first trend is the one we've spoken of: is that infrastructure matters. And if you get everything right, everything else right about your compliance solution, and you have the wrong infrastructure, then you're going to fail. So, Sean, there's there's a couple industry drivers that are coming on strong right now, and they are voice and machine learning. So let's take them in that order. Uh, voice emerged first as a, a real compliance target in Europe with MIFID two, uh, but it's now becoming something that companies outside of Europe and for the more general compliance use case are interested in. The suddenly remote workforce is uh, is creating an enormous amount of voice collaboration, right? You have uh, chat and in-meeting chat, But the bulk of a conversation typically is happening within that conversation. Transcription technologies, uh, both in their accuracy and their cost effectiveness, uh, I think we've really seen the lines cross where it becomes cost effective to actually do voice transcription and uh, archival and supervision and e-discovery on that transcripted content. So this is something that's been coming for a while. But I think that we see in in the 2020 timeframe that the lines are crossing on the uh, on the cost benefit for being able to go down a path of uh voice capture voice transcription voice archive uh voice playback uh, in the in the compliance space now what that does uh voice content is richer than uh normal text content and uh transcription and uh, and the storage of that content in addition to the voice all of a sudden you have uh, a richer compliance archive so what this does is creates even more back pressure on your infrastructure as you get into something like voice so it takes you back to the first point on why is it why is infrastructure strategic why do I need to make sure that uh, I have scalable infrastructure underneath because this is going to start to grow and grow and if you, if you're deploying on-prem and you are starting to richen up your content, uh, what you're going to find quickly is that the scalability limitations that we spoke of earlier will, will be accelerated.
0: One of the challenges we're seeing with our clients is that they are using legacy archives, archives that were built for email, and trying to manage the storage of voice data inside those archives, which some of them are trying to do, it's just it's just not working. It's not able to scale to... to to the the lens that we see with our cloud archive uh, that we're seeing with uh with some of these more modern archives that are out there it's not just about storing this data anymore it's about getting value out of that data and i think that's that's key and the innovations that I've seen around just the transcription side of things over the last few years, the accuracy levels increasing all the time, using levels of machine learning to actually help improve the accuracy is is quite impressive. But talking of machine learning, are there other areas that we're looking at using machine learning within our own product?
1: Absolutely. So machine learning has gone through its own maturity curve, and we're really getting into the third generation of machine learning technology and uh, and machine learning algorithms and models. So the earlier generations of machine learning required an enormous amount of training. Uh, You had to get very domain specific and very data specific in order to get the value out of the machine learning model. And and that's the majority of the machine learning that's been deployed today and it works. It's, It's not that it doesn't work. It's that you have to go through an enormous amount of overhead, sometimes you know, a year's worth of training and overhead, sometimes more than that, in order to start to get the results that you want. But what we started to see in the past couple of years, um, and in this past year in particular, is the advent of pre-trained models that are uh, available to for uh, natural language processing, which means you are actually able to now stand on the shoulders of giants and have something that is mathematically modeling out um, not just at the word level or the phrase level, but but modeling out semantics at a sentence level in a way that is language independent, that that is pre-trained based on uh, on on tens of thousands of hours of training that's already happened, and these models are available both uh, commercially and in the public domain, and these pre-trained models are still trainable, but what they do is they let you start your entrance, your entry point in uh, in the value of applying machine learning, instead of starting at step zero and saying, geez, I have this this infant and I have to train them all the way up to be a teenager before I get any useful work out of them. You're actually starting at young adulthood. You're like, okay, I've got a 21 year old and now I'll I'll take it from there and, and 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 teach them the adult arts, but but I don't have to go through kind of the whole infancy stage of 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 development in my machine learning model. So that creates a really interesting entry point and opportunity for folks who've been maybe sitting on the sidelines or even the early adopters who spent enormous sums of money on, uh, on data lakes and long, slow, painful, domain-specific training to say, hey, wait a minute, can I jump straight into this with the advent of a new model? And the answer to that is, yes, you can. Now, in order to do that, you need a data repository right, for that machine learning model. To, uh, to access content from and to enrich. So this has been, you know, kind of the, the challenge of early ML deploys is they've been these data lake-based deploys. It's a parallel repo. I have to refresh it with tons of data. I'm paying a ton for the infrastructure. Uh, the, the opportunity now is for compliance archives such as SMARJ to be able to uh, run machine learning models on top of the archive. And that's, in fact, what we're doing uh, in Smartian. We have early adopters that are using that now, and we've got some very strong results. And you'll start to hear more about that as we turn the corner from uh, Q4 into Q1. But what we're seeing is you've got pre-trained models. They're semantic. They're sentence-based. They give you immediate value. All you need to do is plug those models into the, the richness of the data in the compliance archive and uh, have a a rich set of APIs in that compliance archive that allows that to happen. And this really opens the door to what's next.
0: So Greg, something that has always impressed me with our archive has been the fact that it is as open as it is, whether you're talking about ingestion of data through our APIs and SDK, or even more importantly, the export, the, the, the ability to get data out of our archive, or even enrich data within the archive. And it sounds like the machine learning you're talking about is something that hinges very heavily on the ability to do that.
1: That's a really good point, um, Sean. We spoke earlier about the inherent constraints of an on-prem deploy on infrastructure. There's also inherent constraints in the actual application architecture of an archive. So, the, the Smarsh approach has been to create a general purpose content platform. And that content platform has open APIs for getting data in, getting data out, and for Round tripping data and enriching content within the content platform, so that um, that open architecture toward uh, toward data and APIs enables a whole new generation of capabilities, including ML and especially ML. If you have a closed proprietary architecture where it's it's difficult to access content in the platform other than through uh, say the user interface, if you don't have that rich set of APIs for easy in, easy out, and an enrichment loop for third party uh, services and capabilities, including machine learning capabilities, then you really end up with something that uh, is more about yesterday's data. And you, you don't really end up being able to take advantage of the today and tomorrow and the richness of the content that you have in your compliance archive. In in a lot of ways, we treat archival as a use case on top of our general purpose content platform. We we treat e-discovery as a set of use cases on top of our general purpose content platform. And that architecture lets us then extend the platform, whether it's, uh, to your point, Sean, new content types, if we, need, if we want to introduce new content types as first-class citizens in the platform, like voice or like video, uh, or some certain communication modality that is new, uh, we have the ability to extend our data model and open that platform and extend the APIs. Uh, if, on the other hand, it's based on well, there's one or two or three content types in the whole world, and we're going to jam everything into that. And there are no APIs for getting access to it. You have to go through uh, strictly the, the, the prepackaged mechanisms that we gave you in the shrink wrap shrink wrap package, that's a problem because now you haven't really bought a strategic content platform. What you bought is an archive that's great for rear view mirror and looking back, but it's, it's really no good for windshield and looking forward. So we're, uh, we're happy with how we're positioned here.
0: It sounds like you know, if, you're, if you're not an open architecture, if you're not an open environment like ours is, you're effectively a glorified backup system. Uh, that's what it sounds like, especially you know and it's not just about having that openness but also the performance yeah, the performance that that Smash has continues to impress me all the time. I, I know I work for Smash, but it, it still it blows my mind when we when we see the performance out of a system that is effectively it, it's a compliance archive it's a storage I mean archive though the word archive is it, it's not an exciting word, but our platform is exciting it is speedy and it enables you to do so much. And, and you know, be able to use things like the, these, these future technologies, the machine learning, and, and even the artificial intelligence. It's it's pretty impressive.
1: It's a crucial point, John, because uh, if if archive is just storage, right? Then then there's really no reason to do anything other than just store your stuff in uh, in some highly redundant uh, storage infrastructure, so that. Uh, you have you know cold storage of your content, and and you're now compliant. But that's not really what the compliance industry is about. And that's not really what the compliance regulation is about, or what the compliance solution providers are working on. The, the compliance solution providers, their charter is to application enable that content. And it has to be able to support an archival use case where you have retention policies, and you have worm storage, and you have all these other archival use cases that have to be applied to that content. But all of that content needs to be application enabled, be it for an e-discovery use case, an archival use case, or a machine learning and analytics use case. And where we see the the future of the industry going is to move beyond um, just the archival use cases or just the e-discovery use cases or just the supervision use cases and into the general purpose use cases of understanding your corporate communications, not just for risk management, but for strategic benefit. You have this rather rich repository of all your human communications, cross-modality in one content repository that is application-enabled that content. What more can I learn about my business with this content? And better yet, what more can machine learning learn for me and come back and tell me about my business. So much of the compliance space is about looking for known problems or issues. But so much about corporate intelligence is about, tell me the things I'm not looking for that I should be worried about. And this is what the next generation machine learning enables. And this is what a content platform like Smart enables.
0: And that sounds very futuristic, but but it's happening. It's happening now. We're we're doing it, and and there are other other uh, vendors that are also doing similar things. And the industry is heading that way. In the next few years, it's it's going to be the normal. It's not going to be something where we're talking about you know futures and getting the value out of your data. I think that that's the key thing for me. That's what I'm hearing from what you're saying. It's There's so much value inside this investment that you've made. You you don't buy an archive uh, these days just to store all your data. And you know, like you say, you might as well just go and get some highly redundant uh, hardware and you know go back it up to the to that to that storage. But the fact is that it's you know the use cases for this data is so much more than just the regulatory requirements. So much more than even just the data privacy. There are, there are some real insights that can be gathered from the way people are talking to each other, whether that's uh, internal, you can find out the, the mood of your your staff, your colleagues. You can find out uh, a lot of information about you know where, where there needs to be some, uh, some attention paid, maybe from an HR perspective in certain areas of the business. But even more importantly is generating value from the communications that you're having with clients. Right, so if you're a if you're a bank and you're 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 a banker dealing with uh, some of your your own clients, you could be missing some buy signals potentially that could very easily be picked up by machine learning. You know, those are sort of use cases that I'm I'm excited to see in the future. Um, I think we're a little bit away from that, but not too far away.
1: No, I think you're right. I think it's happening today. So it starts out modestly, uh, where the the um, the platform itself becomes more intelligent, and we see this in the in the supervision space, right? Where uh, the work in supervision today is uh, largely done on uh, the the industry standard for this today is uh, is heavily indexed content and very sophisticated lexical scanning that allows you to uh, to find certain kinds of patterns that you're looking for, uh, and it works. It, there's there's nothing wrong with lexical scanning. Um, it, it works. It works. Uh, um, it works pretty effectively. But what what it doesn't do is show you what you're not looking for, and uh, and that's where I think the machine learning comes in. And uh, what you'll see from the early adopters in this space is uh, how how can we apply machine learning to a supervision workflow in order to reduce false positives, right? That's the modest entry point. Uh, And that's what we're engaged in uh, in the market right now. And with with very promising results, you can very quickly reduce your false positives, 10%, 20%, 30%, sometimes as much as 50 or 60% uh, by doing machine learning assist on top of supervision workflows. So that's kind of the the more obvious entry point is how do we take uh, supervision workflows and optimize them by adding intelligence, reducing false positives, increasing the uh, the uh, workforce efficiency uh, of supervisors and of the supervisory role. But where this leads us, once you start down this path of saying, okay, machine learning is now you know, helping us reduce false positives, what else, now that we have machine learning in place, what else can it tell us? What else can we tell us about our business? And I think it opens the door to a more general purpose use case of enterprise communications intelligence and enterprise communications analytics, uh, which is something that also typically is trying, is, is being tackled within organizations, sometimes within compliance, sometimes from outside of compliance. But now you have a platform that's going to serve both those use cases, and you can now leverage your investments, uh, that very considerable investment in your compliance content platform to meet um, these, these traditional use cases and the emerging use cases. And that's what makes the decision to go with the solution provider strategic or tactical. If it's strategic, it's gonna be forward-looking, forward-looking uh, in terms of the capabilities, forward-looking in terms of the evolution of those capabilities over time. And that's where we really believe that the investments that uh, Smarts has made these past five years from public cloud infrastructure to an open content platform with open APIs to uh, early adoption of uh, machine learning technologies. We think that really kind of puts us in position for uh, for this next wave of growth and 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 COVID is uh, as unfortunate as a global uh, event it has been it has also created uh, some unintended consequences of accelerating some of the innovation in this place and some of the market adoption in this space so uh, so we we really think that the the path that we're, we're on has been the right path but it's now been accelerated and we see that. Uh, as something that, as we round the corner from 2020 into 2021, we're going to start to see uh, that uptick in commercial adoption across the board, voice, ML, and public cloud.
0: Well, that brings me to my next question. How do you think the mass adoption of collaboration tools will affect the industry in the long term? We're already seeing some of that impact already, and we've discussed some of that impact. But how do you think it's going to impact the industry?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We're all kind of asking um, you know how much of this change is going to be durable, and what will the new normal look like in a post-COVID world? So uh, nobody knows, but it's it's interesting to ask. Certainly, uh, we're not we do not anticipate a decline in the use of collaborative tooling, uh, whether or not remote workforces uh, remain remote, or we go into uh, the more likely scenario of a, more of a hybrid, where you have a a higher degree of remote employees than pre-COVID, but you still have your uh, your your uh, your retail corporate presence. Regardless of the actual employee distribution, uh, the the use of these tools now that they are being uh, broadly deployed and and in some cases creating as much or perhaps even greater efficiency than some of the uh, traditional work, uh, workplace collaboration. Uh, that's not a genie that's going to go back into the bottle. Uh, we think that continues uh, to what degree and at what pace um, let's find out. I think one thing that we will see and that we're starting to see is now that there is a huge commercial opportunity for collab tools uh, other entrants into this market uh, will will occur and, and is already starting to occur you'll see other uh, players from the strategic platform players to to the startups saying wait a minute if we can make it easier for people to collaborate then then there's a, a commercial opportunity for us so the basic laws of market capitalism' a lot of lot of attention and a lot of capital being poured into this right now. So um, the proliferation of collab tooling that we had already been seeing, that already seemed like there was sort of a flowering of it, uh, I think what we'll see is an explosion of that collab tooling. And, and this, of course, creates a really interesting compliance challenge for the uh, compliant enterprise and a really interesting opportunity for the solution provider. So um, what I what I suspect that we'll see is Um, A a durable change in workforce adoption of collab tools and an emergence of kind of let a a thousand flowers bloom in that collab space. They're all going to be using some of the basic tools and technologies that we have today. Right. You know, mobile, laptop, um, 5G, uh, all the things that are that are now possible. But I I think the tooling will continue to evolve here and uh, and will then drive the innovation to the next level. So if anything, I think we'll see. Uh, more collab and more diverse collab moving forward.
0: What does the next five, ten, fifteen years hold for compliance technology? What are the sort of things that you'd like to see come to fruition? I know it's a difficult question, mm-hmm. but I also know that uh, you, you, you like looking forward like that.
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, we've talked about some of the major moves uh, in terms of you know capabilities and infrastructure and uh, and the evolution of uh, of the partner ecosystem and the technology ecosystem. Um, I think the the biggest shift, uh, that is, that is going to happen here. Uh, the, the advent voice is optional will become voices mandatory. I think we're really just at the beginning of that. Uh, ML as optional is going to become ML as mandatory because the only way to keep up with this explosion of content, you kind of have to track the the volume and the richness of the content and and how do you get ahead of the curve in, uh, in, uh, in with technologies that, that have leverage beyond today's technologies? So those technologies, um, uh, machine learning, voice, and trillion-dollar infrastructure, those we think are already in play and are going to continue going. The, I think the change that we're going to see on the side of the compliant enterprise is a desire to move beyond the compliance use case and into the general purpose corporate risk use case. And uh, and then even go beyond the corporate risk use case, because remember compliance, corporate risk, you're kind of playing defense, right? You're not necessarily getting strategic advantage. Uh, What you're doing is make sure that things don't go wrong or if things do go wrong, that you have early detection and that, uh, that you have good audit trails and that you have good corporate governance. And these are very important. It's good hygiene, right? Uh, And it will help your operation, certainly. But there is a forward-looking strategic advantage um, element to this, that now that you have these rich collaborations and now that you have the ability to add intelligence and visibility to those collaborations, help me understand my operation better. Help me understand my customer better. Help me understand my employee performance better. Help me understand the competitive uh, dynamic in my marketplace and how I can be more competitive. So I think what starts out as... Uh, compliance and hygiene uh, morphs into general purpose corporate risk, which then morphs into strategic advantage. What I really want at the end of the day from all this investment is I want to understand what's happening in my company, right? And humans are the biggest portion of any operation. And human communications have been one of sort of the hardest things to get your hands around because the the dynamics of human communication and trying to digitize those is actually a very sophisticated problem. But now with the advent of more and more sophisticated natural language processing and with the advent of solutions like Smarsh, who can actually take advantage of that natural language processing in a holistic platform uh, with with the technology extensions that allow you to actually uh, application enable that intelligence... All of a sudden, you're like, "Well, wait a minute! I I now have the apparatus to go beyond uh, just kind of playing defense, beyond just having good hygiene and compliance, and into let me understand what my employee base um, uh, how they how they interact with each other and with the marketplace on a regular basis." And that alone uh, is is so much value that I think it's going to drive the industry in that direction because the better you can understand your own operation. Uh, the more the more competitive advantage you're going to have.
0: So, Greg, let's say I'm a client. I, I've I've invested heavily in some on-prem architecture that I've been running my archive successfully for the last you know twenty odd years, and we're starting to see it creaking a little bit. What do I do at this stage? Do we do I do I invest more in the infrastructure? How do I approach that problem? Yeah, it's a great
1: question, Sean. So here's the problem with investing in more infrastructure. With the explosion of content that we're talking about, um, the on-prem infrastructure is gonna reach a stress point. And if it's already at that stress point, um, adding the infrastructure and increasing the envelope is actually gonna be making your problem worse, here's why. If you create a multi-petabyte on-prem archive, and if your destination ultimately is trillion dollar infrastructure, which we believe it is, then the ability to migrate from that multi-petabyte on-prem archive to a different infrastructure, private or public cloud infrastructure, has now become a very expensive problem. A problem that's gonna be measured in, the remediation of which is gonna be measured in years and millions. So the deeper you dig that hole, the more content you put into that on-prem archive, the harder it is to solve. So the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets. And if if you are looking at expansion, I would highly recommend that aim within our on-prem archive start to look at how can I get my day-forward data, right? It's perfectly fine to have your legacy archive on-prem and to age it out. And then you can kind of just shrink it over time as, as the content ages out. But get this explosion of new content, this rich content, this, this increase in volume in content. Get that running on trillion-dollar infrastructure as soon as you can. And, and then allow that old archive to age out. If instead you spend the millions and millions to build out that legacy archive and you create and you already have a multi-petabyte problem and you make it that much bigger, by the time you actually want to solve that problem, it is going to be a really expensive problem to solve. Data migration in the petabytes is non-trivial. It's doable, but it's non-trivial. So our recommendation is Get yourself onto strategic infrastructure as soon as possible. Don't wait. And the beauty of the, you know, the cloud opex model and uh, SaaS solution providers is you can do that. You can just start with the new right away. You don't have to do a whole big migration. All you have to do is say, look, I gotta get my day forward data situated, and I'm gonna rationalize my legacy. And that's our recommendation for most folks who are who are building out an on prem archive.
0: That's great advice I, I couldn't i couldn't put it better myself and well every time i speak to you greg <laughs> you give me a lot to think about but some key points that i think I, I can take away from this you know the the changes we've seen over the last you know 6 months to 8 months in terms of the collaboration space the increase of the usage of tools like microsoft teams and zoom that's not going anywhere. That's not, it's not going to start declining. We're going to see it continue at least at this pace, if not grow. And, you know, that's something that people need to take into account. Number two, you need to have a compliance solution in place that is going to take care of that future of collaboration, of voice, and uh, start utilizing the things like machine learning. The amount of data that we're we're creating today, it's, it's been increasing for many decades, but more so than ever it's 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 almost exponential at the moment and with all that new data coming in you have limited compliance teams that they, they 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 can't manage the the massive increases in the amount of data having tools like machine learning help to to narrow down those false positives i think that's that's going to really be key to the strategy going forward for these compliance teams and thirdly the, the last takeaway here is you know, it's it's, an, it's going to be a very uh, bright future in the communication space, and I'm really excited to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, me too. They are exciting times that we're in.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Greg, so much for joining me today, and uh, thank you all for joining me in today's Smash View podcast, and I look forward to you joining us for the next one. Bye-bye for now. Thanks, Sean.